Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First of all, before we start, a special cheerio as usual to Peter and Rob, um, who, who are, I'm sure, listening to this show as we speak. It's approximate, and, and of course they are part of the Doing Time team in spirit. And it's approximately 4.02 and still the pandemic is in progress and there have been some restrictions lifted but still in lockdown and we have spent the last month or so on this show speaking about COVID-19 and monitoring um, police powers, increased police powers. Today's show will be a little bit different. Um, Ultimately, we're still going to be speaking about police powers um, but in a different light. First up on the show, we'll be speaking with Samantha Lee, who is the Police Accountability Solicitor at Redfern Legal Centre. And we'll be speaking with her very shortly in regards to a latest, the latest media release that's been put out by the centre. And the media release is entitled Police Training Will Not Stem the Flow of Unlawful Strip Searches. And we'll be speaking to Sam about the New South Wales Police Watchdog, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, who has released fresh evidence that police strip search laws are not being followed. And we have spoken to Sam a few times on this show about this. And also we spoke to Vicky Vicky Centres last year, um, a lawyer from New South Wales and lecturer, who spoke about another report that had gone through. This particular publication of five investigative reports into New South Wales strip searches, included many cases of unlawful strip searches of minors and coincides with the release of disturbing CCTV footage of a 16-year-old Aboriginal boy being strip searched in custody. And as you can imagine, with the, um, the, the increased police powers in regards to the public health regulations, It has become worse for vulnerable communities and Aboriginal people. Coming up after Samantha Lee, we're going to be speaking with Tabitha Lee, who has also done some outstanding work in regards to prison advocacy and has been in prison herself. And she will be sharing with us some of her own insights um, about the lived experience of prison and also talking about poetry, her poetry. She's written some beautiful poetry and I'm hoping that she can share that with us today. So, yeah, coming up very soon, we'll be speaking...
speaking with Samantha Lee, um, who's going to be speaking about the, the strip search report. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. And you're back, back with the Doing Time Show. And coming up now is Samantha Lee, and I want to welcome her to the program. Hello. Good afternoon, Sam. Uh, good afternoon. It's lovely to have you. Now, Sam, I in, your, in I introed you just previously about um, the report, the reports rather that have just come out about New South Wales strip searches. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the background and, and about some of the recommendations and what what um as a, as a lawyer what you think should happen yes there was a number of reports that came out through the uh police watchdog called um in short the lec uh the lec had conducted uh numerous investigations into the way police in new south wales are conducting strip searches they held several public hearings uh, about strip searches, uh, those public hearings were mostly to do with festivals, but on the side they were also investigating individual cases of strip searches, uh, particularly in rural and remote areas. And uh, that's where this particular report of, of a young Aboriginal man uh, came from, it was released with the other reports and it also released, LEC released some very, very disturbing CCTV footage uh, showing a young Aboriginal man only 16 years of age uh, in police custody with his hands handcuffed and being strip searched uh, and made to squat, uh, I found it extremely disturbing and obviously an indication how this practice is not only traumatic, but it just needs to stop. Mm. Absolutely. And and when, what was this time frame? When was this actually, uh, when, did, when was the footage really revealed? Yeah, so the footage just came out, oh, gee, I've lost track of time, but last week or the week before, so it was fairly recent, sure. although yeah, the strip yeah. search itself occurred a, a while ago. And what the LEC found is that um, police, I think that was through all the reports, is that police do not understand the law when it comes to strip searches, that they haven't been properly trained uh, in regards to the practice of strip searches. Uh, there's poor communication. But 
disappointingly, the LEC did not state that the law needs to change, um, nor in most matters find any serious misconduct. Uh, and that was um, a, a really a disappointing finding. Mm. So what's the point of the report then? If, if What's the point of it all then? Yeah, well, there obviously are some people asking that question. And, you know, with so much great, in terms of the public hearings that went on, it really did shed some much-needed light on this practice of strip searches. And obviously having investigations into the, some of these matters um, has helped to shed light on the strip searches. But we don't just need light shedded. We need significant change in this area. And obviously, this is just a tip of the iceberg. I mean, imagine how many young Aboriginal people there are out there that have been strip searched, probably in a very similar way. There's no CCTV footage. No one's able to shed any light on their story. There's no witnesses to what's gone on. And, uh, you know, I, I believe there's so many other cases out there where young people in particular have just been completely traumatised. Absolutely. And, and, and certainly I'm not taking away from the report. It's good that it happened. But I like the way that Redfern Legal Centre has started off the media release, saying that police training... Um, isn't going to, to, to change that, is it? No. Well, look, it's like saying, uh, you know, if an ambulance officer doesn't know CPR, it's not their fault. Uh, but the thing is that they're meant to know CPR and, and, and likely, the sorry, similarly, the police are meant to know the law. If they don't know the law, we're all in trouble. Um, and obviously a lot of people have been in trouble for no particular reason, which is, you know, in in terms of accountability, uh, integrity of the service, ensuring that people's safeguards and rights are adhered to, we need better than that. You know, we, we need a standard, particularly for such an invasive process that really does leave people traumatised and really does... It, it is nothing. Is nothing. I think it's nothing more than a form of um, abuse. Um, that we can't just let this happen, and we can't just allow educational materials to be updated. It's just not enough. Absolutely, and in a sense, would you say that the New South Wales Police Watchdog, the Law Enforcement Com Conduct Commission? Is that police investigating police? No, the the police watchdog is a completely separate body. Uh, they're, they're not Thanks answerable to police that. in any way. Uh, there are two complain to police directly, and yes, police do investigate police in, in along those along that path. But you can also uh, complain to the independent watchdog, which is the LEC, which is. Uh, a separate, completely separate body to police. Uh, the unfortunately, their findings and what they recommend um, are only that recommendations. There's no particular obligation on police to 
follow the recommendations made by the LEC. Uh, obviously, though, if they made findings and possible criminal case to be heard, that those uh, findings would be referred to the public prosecutions uh, for potential criminal charges to be laid against the police. It's obviously crucial that there is an independent body that does watch over police behaviour, otherwise there's nothing. Uh, so we do need this watchdog, but we need um, a watchdog is able to make really important calls and and call for legislative change when required and to ensure that really invasive practices such as strip searches are are an absolute last resort and should only occur in the most exceptional of circumstances. And what would be those exceptional circumstances? What would be an example? An example would be if there is clear evidence that a person is, um, for example, suicidal, um, you, you know that they might have something on them that could... Uh, mean that uh, particularly in custody they may hurt themselves uh, in, in those circumstances. Obviously, if you've, you've seen, for example, a firearm on someone and you of the view that they might hurt themselves or someone else, then those are the type of extreme you know, scenarios that may call for a strip search. Um, but just because someone has minor drug possession of, on them is absolutely no reason to conduct a strip search and it must be made very clear that that is not a lawful strip search and it shouldn't be occurring. To be fair to the leak, you know, they have actually made some good recommendations, haven't they? Good findings? Look, there's some, you know, important recommendations. Obviously, you know, we do need um, police to be properly trained when it comes to strip searches. We need that for there to be uh, adhered to private spaces. We need uh, proper recording of strip searches, which was a finding made by the LEC. So what was found during the public hearings that is, is that police are even failing to record when they are conducting a strip search. Oh. Uh, and, and that is obviously critical in terms of getting the accurate numbers of strip searches occurring and who they're occurring to. But where the huge gap lies is the fact that the law allows for children to be strip searched. And as far as Redfern Legal is concerned, that law needs to change. No child should be allowed to be strip searched unless, as I said, in the most exceptional circumstances and with a court order, um, for this practice to continue. Uh, we need more than educational material. We also need someone to take responsibility for why this practice has been going on for years without any accountability. There are thousands of people out there that have been strip searched and most likely unlawfully uh, and the police should take responsibility for why their police officers fail to understand the law, know the law, and abide by the law in practice. 
And would you say also that systemic racism could play a part in all this? No doubt uh, it plays a part in all this. You know, we, we know that policing happens in certain areas to certain communities. Uh, there's no doubt a race element to policing. Uh, it has come out in, in reports prepared by Flemington Legal Centre and universities. And we all know that this plays a really critical role in, in um, who is policed. Uh, it's unfortunate that the LEC hasn't delved into that issue at all. The fact that we have seen a young man, Aboriginal man, being strip-searched is uh, not insignificant. You know, this young man has been... is in a police station, no doubt, because he is Aboriginal uh, and... We can't turn away from that. Uh, there must be so many young Aboriginal children that have been strip-searched uh, and, and what has happened to them just doesn't see the light of day. Yeah, and on to the next point here. And, you know, it's very true what you're, what you're saying, Sam, and there's, there's just so much that needs to be covered about systemic racism. Um, which we need to perhaps do for another show because it is a, a topic within itself. But also drawing attention to listeners as well in regards to, and I wanted to see if you wanted to comment on this, about the insufficient guidance provided by senior police officers as to how searches should be conducted. Can you comment on mm. that? Yes. No, it's... A, it's a, how do I sum that up? Um, you know, as I said, if you saw it in other, any other profession, such as the ambulance service, there would be heads rolling. At the public hearings, there were chief inspectors, you know, there were people of high ranking in the police that did not know, gave testimony that they did not understand or properly apply strip search law. Now, at what point does someone take responsibility in the New South Wales Police Force for this appalling educational and application standard within the New South Wales Police Force. It's an invasive process. It's a process that requires people to take off their clothes and stand there naked. The fact that the New South Wales Police do not know that invasive process and the law is an appalling aspect in itself. Uh, it's something that should be treated seriously to the extent that it is such a serious procedure and yet it's just been left to fester for so many years with very little to nil accountability. And also... I know this is not in the media release, but would you say that, you know, you have a lot of vulnerable young people who would have perhaps been sexually abused as children and having, that, you know, whether they're male or female and having those strip searches would then recreate that trauma all over again? Absolutely. We've had um, cases at our centre exactly within that, uh, you know, that those backgrounds of having experienced 
sexual abuse or sexual assault or, you know, even young people that have been exposed to domestic violence or a very violent um, experience have then had to face another violent experience of being strip-searched. Now, that's just, you know, compounding trauma upon trauma. Uh, and as I've said so many times, there's no other law that allows for an adult to authorise a child as young as 10 or even younger if, if they're not accountable to take off all their clothes in front of strangers, police officers who holding firearms have enormous amount of power. It's an, another form of, of abuse against children. Indeed, that's quite scary. It's shameful. I have no other position than the fact that it just should not be happening and I believe in the day and age that it is still happening and it hasn't, the law itself hasn't been changed already. Yeah, it just reminds me of colonial times, you know, 1788 all over again. You know, that used to happen when during convict times. It sounds to me as though, you know, the, these laws need to be updated. A completely antiquated piece of legislation that, uh, as you said, is entrenched in horrific types of um, racial and, and child uh, abuse types of practices. Mm. It's approximately 4.22 and you're listening to an interview with Samantha Lee from Redfern Legal. And just one last question, Sam. Um, Redfern Legal Centre has been seeking changes to strip search law and practice through its Safe and Sound initiative. Can you comment on that? Yes, we'll continue to advocate for change to strip search laws. Uh, we believe that the law doesn't provide sufficient safeguards, that the law itself is being um, abused and it's not being applied lawfully and consistently. consistently. We are continuing to advocate, even during this pandemic period for change to the legislation and practice. We want to see no child strip searched. Uh, we want to see it only to be occurring even to adults in the most exceptional of circumstances. So watch this space. Watch this space in, indeed and with COVID-19 that would certainly be complicating um, procedures with the clients, isn't it? It certainly has, yes, thrown a spanner in the works, but we're still... Absolutely. Samantha, thanks so much for your time. It's It's been great having you. Are there any final comments before we finish? My final comment is that uh, I hope everyone keeps safe out there and uh, we're at Redfern Legal Centre. We uh, are thinking of you all and... Uh, want to help in, in any way that we can, particularly in terms of police powers uh, and making sure that there is some form of accountability in regards to policing practice. Absolutely. And a shout-out also, isn't it, Sam, to our um, brothers and sisters on the inside and, and also to all um, Aboriginal people and vulnerable communities and keep safe with the COVID-19. Certainly. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Take care. Thanks a lot. You too. Bye-bye.
G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. COVID-19 is a sickness that can spread from person to person. It can be dangerous, especially for our elders or people who are already unwell. We can all help stop the spread in our communities. Cover a cough with the inside of your elbow instead of your hand. Wash your hands with soap for at least 20 seconds after you cough or sneeze. Go to the toilet and before you make any food. Keep away from people who are sick, coughing or sneezing. Avoid going to places where there are lots of people. At this time, it is best to stay at home and away from other people as much as we can. If you're feeling unwell, have a fever, cough or sore throat, or worried about someone else, phone your doctor, clinic or medical service right away for advice. It is important to stay connected and strong as a community and keep our mob safe. Visit health.gov.au or your local health service for more information. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter.
Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And up next, we've got Tabitha, who's been on this show before and is a, is a very strong, wonderful um, Aboriginal activist who has been really amazing in terms of not only talking about her lived experience of prison, but also being very open and honest. And I've always really enjoyed her company. So I've invited her back to share with us her poetry and talk a little bit more about her insights. Hi, Tabitha. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. It's lovely to have you, honestly. it's um, It's been a pleasure. So, and in fact, we make it our business, as you know, to provide a safe environment for um, women in particular and people from vulnerable communities to come and speak about what they want to talk about. So, I'm wondering if you could just give us a bit of an update about, you know, what's been going on with you. Yeah, look, I've been eagerly waiting parole. I'm still on home detention and I was eligible for parole in February. Um, There's been delays. I think um, the COVID situation has slowed down parole hearings, which is actually quite disappointing because I worry about people who are stuck in prison during this time but who are actually eligible for parole, but their sentence has been prolonged because the system isn't able to organise itself to process people quickly. So I've been waiting for that, which is... um, I'm hugely impatient. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, I've been doing lots of agitating and um, activist-type work around how we can start to move to decarcerate people from prisons, particularly during a pandemic. So I've been writing lots of letters and articles and doing interviews in relation to that because I... I'm really worried about people stuck in jail during this time, um, whether they have access to clean spaces, adequate health care, protection, and also if their wellbeing is being taken care of, particularly during this time where most of the prisons are shut down so there's no visits taking place. So, yeah, that's been consuming a bit of my time. I've been busy. <laughs> you have been busy, and that's really good, Tabitha. Now, just to put it in perspective, can you just tell listeners what land you're from? Uh, thank you for reminding me. I'm Gunditjmara through my mother's birth line, but today I'm speaking from Ghana country, so as a visitor in this space, I acknowledge the elders past and present and commit to walking in this space gently and with respect. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and like, look, a major concern really as well as particular concern is the fact that I worry about Aboriginal people in prisons but also in remote communities and Aboriginal people are already dying younger than non-Aboriginal people and 
you know, mm. the, the, the COVID-19 is something that really concerns me. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I've been, oh, look, I've been very concerned. I mean, as a family, we've been voluntarily self-isolating, largely out of responsibility to our old people. Um, on hearing that children, some advice I'd received if my son has some chronic illnesses and what the doctor had told me is that some children can be asymptomatic so you could potentially carry the illness. I, I really became concerned about how this could potentially affect other old people. So we made the decision to self-isolate during the time. But particularly in prisons, our people have chronic illnesses, a higher rate of chronic illnesses and an increased rate of comorbidities of those illnesses. So if COVID-19 were to get into our prisons, it would disproportionately affect our most vulnerable people. And I think that is the greatest motivation for decastrating right now. Um, and I'm concerned that governments aren't looking at this seriously. And what we're seeing across the world is prisons opening their gates and letting the most vulnerable people out. And we need to be doing that across Australia, and we're not. It's not really happening, is it? And, and whilst it is important to talk about aged care homes, the mainstream media doesn't seem to be able to address some of these issue, issues in prison. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a, a lack of willingness as well to look creatively about how we could decastrate. So some of the work that I've been doing around lobbying, particularly in this state in South Australia, around... Um, releasing our most vulnerable people is that there, there's ways that we could manage this across a whole system. We could be transitioning some people out onto home detention. We could be freeing up home detention hardware by transitioning people already out onto parole. There's a whole range of things that we could be doing that could still meet the system's crazy need for what they call justice but also keep people safe. And I think the lack of willingness to creatively look at this situation is actually putting people in harm's way. I know there's been really great campaigns around sending in soap, but the prisons aren't accepting that soap. They're citing security concerns. And I know just from my children, they have a family member in prison right now, and they are concerned that that family member may not have access to soap or even a clean space. We know that access to cleaning supplies in prisons is really difficult. And we're just... People on the outside just can't be confident that the prisons are actually supporting the people in there and keeping them safe. Uh, we know that the prison health system cannot keep up. And if we were to get an outbreak in prison, it would very quickly overwhelm the already underfunded and inadequate health services in there. And what it would mean is then a, a reliance on outside health services, which would then put pressure on emergency departments. So really, it, it's quite ridiculous that they're not looking at this matter seriously. Mm. And yet, there's a lot of talk about flattening the curve by the government. Mm. I'm wondering how transparent is the government, the federal government, and indeed mm. the state governments, about figures in prisons. I mean, have you heard of any COVID-19 cases in prison? No, I haven't, but I've had some contact with some women in prison who uh, just recently uh, a woman contacted me who had been put back into prison on a parole breach, which seems extraordinary to do that in the middle of a pandemic Absolutely. when you're trying to reduce beds. But the interesting thing that she said and the quite devastating thing and worrying thing was she said that she wasn't even quarantined when she was brought in. 
So she came from outside in. She, there was no health screening on her. She was put straight into the mainstream populations. And if we consider the fact that this is happening every day, multiple times throughout the day, that the, the risk is huge. And what I've been saying out in the community is if you don't care about people inside, if you don't care about people who are in prison, think about the fact that every single day of every single week of every single year, 400 people move in and out of the prison system every day into your communities. They have children at your school. They live potentially next door to you. And they're called prison officers. The fact is our prison officers are moving in and out of the system every day back into the community. So if people don't think that prisons should be part of the public health response because they actually don't care about prisoners, care about the fact that these prison officers, if there's an outbreak in our prisons, could be bringing that back into your community. I I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, um, but there's very little we can do because prisons get caught up in this tension and power play between the federal and the state government because their state government operated and the feds are running the whole response to the pandemic. So they sort of palm prisons off as, well, that's the state's responsibility. They can make the decisions. But really, we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need, and that's not what we're getting right now. Absolutely, and it's 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 been great, um, you know, you sharing your insights on it. Now, Tabitha, how comfortable do you feel about reading a few of your poems on it? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Would you like poetry to Poetry is that? actually really... Yeah, poetry is super important to me. When I, yeah. when I... I used to write a lot when I was young and then when I went to jail, I'd stop writing. And I think it was a few months before my release, all of a sudden all the words came back to me and I had this real need to write again. And it's so cliche to say that as soon as I let the words free and I started writing, it almost freed me. So it's a hugely cathartic experience for me. So I'm really excited that you actually want me to share something on air today. Oh, I'd Thank love you. it. I'd love it. Have you chosen something? Yes. I wanted to read you um, a poem called Confessions from D-Wing. And just to give listeners a bit of perspective, D-Wing is a wing in Adelaide Women's Prison. It's where you go in single cells. They're hard cells. It's where you're in isolation. It's a really grim place. So I just wanted to share that, if that would be okay. Absolutely. Okay. People don't feel sympathy for people in prison. In fact, I dare say we never get a second thought. We become invisible, hidden from view. Maybe that's appropriate. After all, we have violated the law, your law. Or more accurately, we got caught. Because let's face it, how many of your people have committed offences and are still living free? So now that I sit alone in my cell, a wall-to-wall concrete coffin, I feel the weight of isolation rest heavily on my shoulders. I look around at the cold interior, the thin mattress on the floor, the metal sink above the cold, hard toilet. I can't tell what time of day it is because the lights have been on since I got here. I was stripped, showered, dressed, and then stripped again. This time they kept my underwear, 
and I put on the stiff canvas smock they gave me. No quilt or blanket, just a folded up piece of canvas to lay across my body at night. Assuming night comes. After all, I wouldn't know. I imagine that the moon is on fire and that the light cast across my cell is swaying to music. A waltz and then a tango. Shadows dancing against the wall. There is light in every corner. I imagine lightning outside and rain. After all, it should rain the day you go away, shouldn't it? I imagine the stars touching my hair as I sit in silence. Real silence. The kind you can't find but stumble upon. The kind where you hear a cigarette yield to ash and a candle flicker. The kind where your thoughts come alive and dance symphonies in your mind. Of course, this cell is anything but silent. My neighbours are all expressing their own pain. There is a woman who is swearing and cursing. She's angry or high or both. To the other side is one of my sisters and she's wailing. She's in deep pain. I can tell she has lost a family member. She sways with the waves of grief that roll across her and she cries. My heart tugs at my core as I imagine lonely, big, fat tears falling from her eyes and her face twisted with sadness. Grief can be so ugly. Others are muttering to themselves, calling out for attention or pacing the concrete box. And down the hall are the officers, the gatekeepers and captors with their keychains. They are watching TV or they're monitoring screens or both. But I know I can hear a game show crowd cheering on a contestant. Weird. I don't move. I haven't since I got here. I feel paralysed by my own grief. I feel angry at the world angry at my own transgressions, angry that this is what your justice looks like. And so it is that I wonder from within the misery bubble that engulfs me, how you feel in this moment. Do you feel justice was restored to you? Do you feel satisfied that I've gotten my just desserts? Do you feel safer with me enclosed in this cage? Because let's just take a moment to consider your feelings as if they have not been front and centre through this entire process, as if your rights are more important than mine which we know is how it is within the colony. Because the way I see it, your people have been stealing from my people for more than 200 years. 232 to be exact. Who's counting, you ask? Us. We count every year of your occupation in our land. You have raped, you have pillaged, you have stolen, you have destroyed, you have poisoned, you have slaughtered. Whole ecosystems have been damaged, entire families stolen. You put our languages to sleep, you took the fire from our lips, you disrupted our song cycles, you cut down our trees, you drained our rivers, you stole our seas. Yet here I sit in a concrete cage and you dare talk to me about justice. When my people want to talk about justice, when we ask for a fair go, you scream, how dare you? When we ask to be included in your colonial manifesto, you said, hold up, how would that even look? When we want to walk on our land or fish in our waters, you say, no, we own this land now and we'll tell you how and where you can fish. When we said we want our kids to get a good education so they can survive in this world you have created, you say, okay, but do it by our rules. When we say change the date, you mock us. When we say you must protect these trees, you say lock them up, they're protesting. When we say you killed us in custody, you say we can't answer those questions on the grounds that could incriminate us. When we live by your rules, you shift the goalposts on us. You call our dreaming a myth and impose your Christianity on our souls. You make careers off the backs of the dysfunction you have created. You make money off of our trauma. You say get a job but lock us out of labour markets. 
You make us homeless in our own country. You make us reliant on a handout because we can never get a hand up. You say if you have a go, you will get a go, but you've never given us a go. So here I sit, at the mercy of your justice, judged, convicted and sentenced, not by my peers, but by yours, not by my laws, but by yours. Yet the irony is that in this place, this cold and unforgiving space, I am not in a minority, I am the majority, yet I am still not safe, I am still not free of your bonds, I am your criminal. I'm the product of your creation. I am the deviant you dreamt up. Do not talk to me about justice. There is no justice. Just us. Well, that was very powerful. How do you feel after reading that? Yeah, I feel I... I it always... Um, it sometimes makes me feel sad to go back into that space, but then it makes me feel really powerful and strong and like I've survived, but also fills me with this great sense of responsibility that I have so far survived this system and I need to be a voice for the people still in there and I need to make sure that I work every single day to dismantle a system that does this to our people. So, yeah, thank you for letting me share it. Thank yeah. you. I mean, that poem just makes me fight, want to fight even harder. Yeah. I think when I think about these hard cells and what we do to people and, and I mean, when I went into D-Wing, it was actually the first day that I was in prison. So they took someone that had come straight from court, cared from her, literally from her children and, and father and placed in jail. I was in tears. I was sad. I was grieving. And they put me in a hard cell with not even a bed, just a mattress on the floor, all on my own. And I think about the lack of humanity in that, how cruel it was. And I think about everyday women in Adelaide Women's Prison are being put in those hard cells for a range of reasons. Yeah, I just, I, I can't understand how we feel okay as a country to have a system that does that to people. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's... Um, I'm very happy to, to, to hear that. I'm not sure if we've got time to do another one because... Yeah, that one was a bit long, so I did think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry. No, I did think because I, I picked that one because it was particularly powerful, but it is a little long, so I'm really no, grateful. No, I'm glad you picked that, that one because that, yeah. that's almost like two poems in one. Um, yeah. it's, um, could, could you come back in a couple of weeks and do some more? I'd love that. I'd love that. And I just, if I've got like two seconds just to say, yes. the reason I picked that one particularly now is because what we know about the prisons right now that is if someone has any symptoms that could potentially be COVID, they're chucking them in isolation to separate them. And I wanted to highlight the cruelty of isolation and... Yes to think that someone who could be vulnerable and potentially unwell and could be sitting in that hard cell worrying that they have COVID and that's how we respond as a state. I'd really hope that people think about that and take their concerns about solitary confinement past the pandemic and really lobby hard and stand beside us when we say that this is cruel and not any way to treat people. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and in fact, you were even mentioning about the, the strips, the strips, Stripping as well, but mm, mm. that is invasive. 
hugely. And as a woman who has been sexually assaulted in the past, it, it, it's re-traumatising and to me it's state-sponsored violence and extraordinary that we're still doing that. And, and even worse, we're strip-searching children in detention centres. I, I can't understand on what planet anyone thinks that that's okay. Yeah, as, as young as 10. And, and in fact, I'm not yeah. sure whether you, you heard the first interview, probably not, but I actually interviewed Samantha Lee from um, Redfern Legal Centre and she was right. talking about how um, children in New South Wales and Aboriginal children have been, were being strip-searched in the community even. Yeah. Outrageous. Outrageous. And we have to stand up and say this isn't okay. We have to stand up and say it's not okay that our children are in cages. We need to say, put, reinvest those funds into our communities, make our, our homes and our communities safer to keep our kids there. There is no reason why a child as young as 10 should be ripped from their family or their community and placed in a cage. It's just, it's extraordinary to me that we, we feel okay about this and the fact that some of our detention centres are almost all exclusively Aboriginal. <laughs> That's, as a nation, we have to feel shame about that and even more than feeling shame, it needs to propel us to take action to say this isn't okay and that we can do better, we can do better by our children. Getting back to your poem, you know, that poem really sums up the the systemic racism that Aboriginal experience in this country. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and the, for me it's the, it's the changing of the rules and the shape-shifting and the fact that we are criminalised just for our existence. Our existence becomes a form of resistance and... I think every day living your, your honest and your best truth and living in this country is difficult for an Aboriginal person. And I think we need to recognise that and we need to look at all the ways that we're criminalising Aboriginal people's existence. I mean, in some states, we're, we're criminalising people for not being able to pay fines and we're chucking them in jail. Like, that's extraordinary. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. And um, we're, we're putting young men in prison because they've been charged with drinking in their community because it's a dry zone, yet non-Aboriginal people sit in their own communities drinking at cafes or in their backyards and they're not put in jail. So the fact that we are criminalised and over-imprisoned says more about this society than it says about us. In the Uluru Statement from the Heart, they say we are not innately criminal people, and that is fact. We are not. What, what we are is a people that are criminalised for existing in a colony whose laws and structures and policies are all here to, to get rid of us. And my old auntie says that living in a country and in a place that is, is designed to tear you down and destroy you is exhausting. We have to stand by and hold each other up. And that's why I think having a voice coming out of prison, whilst it sometimes can be a threat to your own liberty because the system certainly doesn't like us speaking out, particularly when we're on home detention or on parole, but it's so vital because there are sisters and brothers and young, our young people sitting in, in cages right now who actually need us to amplify our voices for them to keep them safe and to keep the system accountable and to fight to change the system. So I love shows like yours that amplify our issues and give give 
a platform to lived experiences because so often we are silenced because of our lived experience. We're discredited because of it. So thank you. And I really support this platform and I'm really grateful to you. I'm so glad that you, you came on the show. And I mean, one of the things that I have tried to really try and foster over the years as well is trying to really build friendships and, and alliances between Indigenous and non-Indigenous women. Often there can be serious distrust um, from Aboriginal women to, to non-Indigenous women and I'm, I wish that there could be more bridges built for people to help each other. Yeah, and I think... I, I, I would agree with you and I think... There's also getting out there that, that this whole idea of being an ally and what does allyship really mean? And it, yeah. one of the things that I think allyship means is sharing your platform and sharing your spaces and opportunities. And that's why this sort of thing is really important because you have a platform and you're literally sharing it with us. And I think that's, to me, there's huge value in that type of allyship. And I think the only way we're actually going to be successful in dismantling systems like prisons and the entire prison industrial complex is if we're able to work together, literally side by side, to do this. I think there's huge value in working with non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal people together and I'm you know, happy to be part of any ways that we can do that. That's lovely. This is the Do and Time Show, 3CR Community Radio. It's approximately 4.54. We've got about three minutes left. And we're speaking with Tabitha Lean. And I'm sorry, Tabitha, I just corrected your name on air because I may have mispronounced it <laughs> earlier on. <laughs> That's right. Actually, lots of people end up calling me Samantha because I think, what was her name? It's something related to Bewitched and come up with Samantha. Oh, <laughs> oh so, that's yeah, weird. Because yeah, I just had Samantha before. I, ha <laughs> I had Samantha Lee and now we've got Tabitha. Yeah, well, there you go. See? It's the cosmos. <laughs> Oh, that is the cosmos. That's an amazing yeah. connection, isn't it? <laughs> One of the other things, like if we've got like two minutes to raise awareness of is children of people in prison. Right now, children of people in prison are doing it really tough because visits are closed. In Adelaide, visits have been closed for 55 days. That's 55 days that children haven't been able to hug their mum or dad. And I want to I want to just sort of give credit to our kids and how strong they are in getting through this time and how difficult it must be for those parents not being able to hold their children. Absolutely. I think we need to be doing so much more about how we can support parents to be connected to their children on the outside and how we can support our children to stay well and happy and healthy when they have a parent in prison. Um, some prisons have opened up Zoom visits with children and I think that's great. And I wonder why they haven't been able to do that before. So, yeah, I, I wanted that to... that happens a lot more. Yeah, yeah. It's an important thing and it's important for our kids and their wellbeing. Tabitha, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Thank you for having me. And I look Take forward care. to catching up with you another time. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good week and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. And that was um, Tabitha um, speaking about her lived experience with prison and sharing her incredible poetry. So that's the end of the Do and Time Show. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 um, for, the, for the Do and Time Show. Beyond Zero is up next and we'll be going out very soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella from, from the Rumpy Band. 
stay tuned and goodbye and stay safe and well. Take care of each other. A real 